0: Welcome to the Boston Society of the New Jerusalem's Church on the Hill podcast. If you like it, consider joining us at 140 Bowdoin Street in Boston for more, or visit us on the web at churchonthehillboston.org. Good morning. The
1: reading today is Isaiah 66, verses 10 to 16. Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad for her, all you who love her. Rejoice with her in joy, all you who mourn over her, that you may nurse and be satisfied from her consoling breast, that you may drink deeply with delight from her glorious bosom. For thus, says the Lord, I will extend prosperity to her like a river, and the wealth of the nations like an overflowing stream and you shall nurse and be carried on her arm and dandled on her knees. As a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you, and shall be, you shall be comforted in Jerusalem. You shall see, and your heart shall rejoice. Your bodies shall flourish like the grass, and it shall be known that the hand of the Lord is with his servants, and his indignation is against his enemies. For the Lord will come in fire, and his chariots like the whirlwind, to pay back his anger in fury, and his rebuke in flames of fire. For by fire will the Lord execute judgment, and by his sword on all flesh, and those slain by the Lord shall be many. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
2: Good morning. Today's reading is Luke, chapter 10, verse one to 11 and 19 to 20, 17 to 20. After this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them on ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself intended to go. He said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go on your way. See, I am sending you out like lambs into the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no scandals, and greet no one on the road Whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this house. And if anyone is there who shares in peace, your peace will rest on that person. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking, whatever they provide. for the laborer deserves to be paid. Do not move about from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and its people welcome you, eat what is set before you. Cure the sick who are there and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not welcome you, go out into the streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet We will wipe off in protest against you. The 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, in your name, even the demons submit to us. But he said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like a flash of lightning. See, I have given you authority to treat on snakes, and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing, nothing will hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice at this that the spirits submit to you, but do rejoice that your names are now written in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
3: Good morning. I will read to you today from Swedenborg Apocalypse explain sections 102.7. To love and to do truth for the sake of truth and good for the sake of good is to have affection for truth and good for their sake and not for the sake of one's own reputation, honor, or gain. Such affection of truth and good is a truly spiritual affection, but the affection of truth and good for the sake of one's own reputation, honor, or gain is merely natural affection. And as those who love truth and good for the sake of truth and good, or because they are truth and good, are in the spiritual affection of truth and good. This ends the reading.
0: Swedenborg has a magic way with words that sometimes lets people be confused in his double statements and twisting of words. But what he's saying is actually in some ways something that many of us almost instinctively know. Swedenborg is saying that it's really only doing good if we mean to do good. Does that make sense? That doing good, when we don't actually mean it, doesn't really mean it. And this... As I had this in my head and we celebrated the 4th of July, it it made me think of some things because, I don't know how many people know this or not, but originally the founders of our country put in place this constitution and they referred to it as the American experiment. They questioned whether or not it would happen and it would work. The founders of the United States had actually written a great fear of democracy. I don't know if you know that. The people who created our democracy were scared. They were scared because they feared the will of the people. At the same time, when they were trying to embrace the will of the people, they were scared of what the will of the people might be. You see, the fact of the matter is they understood that the tyranny of the majority is still tyranny. And and this is oftentimes put in philosophical rhetoric. As let's say you go to a dinner party, okay? You're at a dinner party with a 100 other people. And let's say you all had to pay equally but you got to select from a common purse what you ordered off the menu. Their fear was that the common people would outspend their means. Ever hear of the government outspending their means? Their fear was also what if By popular vote, 51% of the country got to choose what you got to eat at the meal, and they chose something that you didn't like. They were scared of that, and so they put in place this this world where a hierarchy developed that was trying to be representational, And so people got together and elected politicians and elected a variety of different people. A hierarchy began to be created with leaders who would fight for their various constituents. These leaders oftentimes got special notoriety. Throughout human history, every organization, every power structure that arose, these figures, these people, who were somehow held above others, seem to arise. The people who we oftentimes say are the greatest among us. We delineate our society from good to bad, and if this s- slideshow was working, it would have switched to a slide that actually had our founding fathers and great people in history who we look to as saying these people are somehow greater than us. We look to our founding fathers, and we oftentimes pay them an homage of somehow them being better than we were. But when you look at some of the things they did, when you actually get to know about their lives, they really weren't necessarily all that much better. They possessed talents, maybe, in public speaking, and and they oftentimes possessed affluence, which got them into those positions, but the fact of the matter is within our society, whether historically or in modern days, there are certain people who have certain skills, and certain skills we reward in our society more than other skills. But the person who serves you food is not less than the person who people pay tabloids to write articles about. I don't know if any of you are aware But apparently there was a child baptized yesterday or the day before yesterday who happened to just be born, not out of his own desire to be born to two members of the royal family, but people were outraged and people were overjoyed and people put all this energy, tabloids put tons of effort and emotion into hearing about little Archie. But why is Archie better than the person you're sitting next to? Why do we care more about that celebrity? We spend a lot of energy looking at famous people. We spend a lot of time looking at people who have supposedly accomplished so much to transform the world. But I sometimes wonder... How much of the greatness of people that we ascribe to them is more illusory than not? Most of the politicians you like, and the ones you don't, but I'm trying to be a little more positive here, the ones that you like who give the great speech, most of them did not write that speech. But you never hear about Obama's scriptwriter. You never hear. About Trump's scriptwriter, who sometimes he files it, sometimes he doesn't, but that's true across the board with everybody who speaks. You never hear about the people who have shorn that person up, the people who, in many ways, are quietly heroic in the day to day world. You never really hear about the people who battle to deal with the fact that Massachusetts right now is in a trash crisis. Right? Most of us don't care. It's in the can. Most of us don't realize that our trash companies have nowhere to put their trash anymore. And that you have a bunch of people in offices trying to figure out where your garbage is gonna go. I don't know about you, but somebody magically whisking my trash away so I don't have to think about it, that's pretty darn important to my life. But I don't spend my energy wanting to know what happened to them great people in our culture, in our world. They're supported by countless numbers of people who are doing their work quietly that never get the reward. And we elevate these political leaders and celebrities, well, the lawyers, the doctors, the stockbrokers, we, we elevate them above the food service provider, the waste management specialist, the teacher, the mechanic, the IT professional, all of the people that make society work. When we praise celebrities beyond their station, I fear that we are giving some of our dignity to them. Does that make sense? when we are willing to elevate them and say, I care about them more than I care about the need to take care of myself, the need to take care of my neighbor, the need to know my neighbor's name. When we do that, when we elevate these celebrities to somehow claim that they're better than we are, we take a piece of our dignity and hand it over to them. Because just in the fact that we're willing to praise them in a way that they may not be deserving means that we're not willing to praise ourselves for the ways that we might be deserving. I don't know if that makes sense to you. Now, the 12 disciples. So at this point, the slide switches to the 12 disciples. I know. There you go. Anybody who's looking for a volunteer opportunity to learn how to run a slideshow from the back of the church, please see me after the service. The disciples were sent out by the Lord. You know, all the disciples are saints, right? Every single one of them was made a saint. The funny thing is, the disciples, when you look at them as literary characters in the story, The disciples are designed to make you feel better about yourself. You see, the disciples throughout the stories are almost always wrong. They're always ignorant. They're always like, what are you saying, Jesus? And Jesus is like, oh, okay, guys. You got to love your neighbors, be faithful people. So it's designed so when the reader reads it, they're looking at the disciples and saying, why don't these disciples get it? The Lord is with them. Why don't they get it? You know, they walk up and say, who gets to sit at your left hand? Who gets to sit at your right hand? And the readers are saying, why don't you get it? It's not about the left or the right hand. When the disciples deny the Lord after his death, the reader sits there saying, Don't deny the Lord. You shouldn't be doing that. They are designed within the context as a statement that you have the ability to be more thoughtful and more holy than the disciples. I'm not saying they don't deserve to be saints. I'm saying that Don't honor them above your ability to be a saint or an angel or a person who can be a conduit of the Lord's love and faith in this world. The disciples were average people. They were not the great people. Some of them were viewed as traitors to their own kind for exploiting them because they were tax collectors. Some were simple fishermen. These were not the great people of our society. These were not celebrities The point of the scripture is the people who are wealthy and powerful in the world are not as great as you think they are. Maybe they are, maybe they're not. I don't know what's in the heart of other people. What I do know is that my faith tells me is that all good comes from God, and the degree to which I have that love and goodness in my heart when I act is the degree to which I do good, not necessarily what the outcome is. The disciples are us, normal people, people who have a choice to make. They get sent out, and they do miraculous things, and what's their first response when they do miraculous things? Look at what we did! Look at what we did. And Jesus is like, oh, you guys still don't get it. (laughs) You shouldn't be happy about what you did. You should be happy that you were doing loving and goodness in your actions and in the world. You should be happy that you are an instrument of God, not at what you are doing. But it's so easy for us. They go out, they do that. They get criticized for it. The church makes them saints and puts them above everybody else. It's kind of weird. That's not the point. God does not care about celebrity. God does not... Take away your dignity because you did not get the fame and notoriety of the famous person. God loves the individual walking down the street as much as the person in the limousine. God loves the people in the jails, in the suburbs, in the penthouse apartment, in the ski chalet, in the White House. God does not care where you are. What God does worry about is when you think you are not good enough. God does care when you hand over aspects of your dignity and your own exceptionalism to other people. God created you to be an angel in this world. God created you not to care about stock markets, not the gross national production. God created you to express love and be a conduit of love in this world to the person sitting next to you. It doesn't matter whether or not you are in the tabloids. It does not matter whether or not the decision you're about to make is of world importance. True true strength is not in tanks and planes and weapons of force, not in mansions, not in notoriety. True greatness is simply found when a person cares about what they're doing to the person next to them. True greatness is empowering the person next to you to understand who they could be. It's about empowering the person so that they become the fullest person they have been created to be, not about whether or not you get the best contract. That's the lesson that the Lord gave to the disciples that day. The lesson was simply that God loves them, is nurturing them, is cradling, is, is suckling them already. Be happy that God loves you and share the happiness of that love with the person next to you. Don't be blinded by the greatness. When you are in moments of difficulty, when you are in moments of struggle, how often do you really ask that what we now consider to be some what, like trite question, right? What, what would Jesus do? When confronted with a different choice, do you ever ask yourself if God were here, would God care about what I care about? Or would God say, don't worry so much about those things because you should be overjoyed with the fact that you are loved and that from that love you can share it to someone else. God wants you to know that you are important and that you are great and that you are more important than the headline of a tabloid. God wants you to know that no matter the way that you are judged by the world, you are not insignificant. God wants you to know that at the end of the day, your name is written in the book of heaven. So long as you let heaven into your heart. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Boston Society of the New Jerusalem's Church on the Hill podcast. If you liked what you hear, consider joining us at 140 Bowdoin Street, Boston, for more. Or visit us on the web at churchonthehillboston.org.